Well, what an honor it is to be with you. I think about uh, Aaron and I who've been married uh, 30 years this, this year. It actually, for us, started right here in Hawaii. This is where we honeymooned. So I was thinking about just that experience. My youngest daughter is back there in the corner. No, that's not her. Where is she? Annie, where'd you go? I was thinking that's... There she is waving, so... <laughs> so my eyes are getting older. So, so anyway, Aaron and I started off here 30 years ago. Um, we, we ventured to the Polynesian Cultural Center to be a part of a luau. Somehow on the drive over there, I don't know what went wrong. Something happened. We get into an argument. And I, as best as I could to try to repair that didn't work. Erin was very upset with me, very frustrated. She wasn't speaking to me. And so there we were. I, I mean, this is back in the early, early 90s. And so I'm not sure what it, the, the cultural center looks like now. But at the time, they had us all crammed in, like these little wooden benches. We were all just smushed in there. And so I was thinking this was our very last day here before we were going to return home to Denver, Colorado. And Erin wasn't speaking with me. So I was thinking, wow, last, last night, last day in paradise, and my wife's not talking to me. That's probably not going to bode well for later on. So I was just trying to figure out some way to repair, some way to, to, get, to get us okay with each other. And so um, my dad, his name is Gary Smalley. He, some of you may have heard that name, know who he is, maybe saw one of his marriage seminars. But I'd sat through enough of his marriage seminars to remember that he talked about when, when your wife is upset with you, that, there, that you need to begin to be tender with her. And so I was thinking, well, what would that actually look like in this moment? We're all jammed in. Aaron's not speaking to me. And so I kind of took my arm and you know, kind of pried it out because, again, we were just smushed together and just gently laid it around Aaron, not looking at her, thinking that probably wouldn't help, but I just started to barely rub her shoulder, thinking, you know, tender, you know, something, maybe this will help. I tell you what, it did nothing. I mean, she didn't even acknowledge me. And so I was thinking, man, I got, okay, I got to keep going. So I just continued to gently rub her shoulder and again, just, just nothing. And I'm thinking, man, can't you see what I'm trying to do here? I'm being tender and everything. Come on. And so I, I, I leaned in to say something to her when my eyes met the eyes of the woman sitting next to her. And this woman had sort of this look like, the, like, what are you doing? Like looking at me like all weird. And all of a sudden I realized that somehow her shoulder and my wife's shoulder overlapped. And I had been rubbing this woman's shoulder the entire time. So that was probably for me strike two. Um, after I apologized to my wife and the woman sitting next to her, we were able to, to kind of resolve things. But that was really, as far as I remember, that was our first major fight as a married couple right here on this island. So it brings back lots of fond memories. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to focus on verses 1 through 5. There's actually two verses in particular that I'm really going to spend some time on, but to give some context, I want to read verses 1 
through 5. So let, let's start off and, and just look through those verses, and then, and then I'm going to, to start to unpack those. So Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Um, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a, in a spirit of gentleness. So thankfully, Aaron and the woman sitting next to her restored me that night with gentleness. So that was good. Um, keep watch on yourself, lest you, be, you too be tempted. So verse 2, bear one another's burdens as so to fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of you test his own work, and then, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And then verse 5, for each shall bear his own load. Some really, some really powerful things in there. But, but the two verses that I really want to impact, because they've, they, they've had such an impact on my marriage, on my relationship. So if you're sitting there going, well, I'm not married, it's okay. What I want to talk through is a great process when, when we discover that there's some things, that maybe some challenges in the relationship. How can we use what Paul's words to really help us work through that relationship, especially a marriage relationship? So we all remember probably where we were back in March of 2020 when we all got the word that COVID was running rampant and thus we had to quarantine. Uh, we, were, we live in Colorado Springs, I'll never forget Colorado Springs, so the state of Colorado shuts down, focus on the family where I work, shuts down, so we all sent home. Now, as an introvert, I really thought that I'd died and gone to heaven. Because it was one of those, you mean, wait, what? I don't have to, to go into the office and be around people. I don't have to talk to anybody. I can be working at home. I mean, it was amazing. Aaron and, and Annie, who's my youngest, uh, both extroverts. This is a very difficult season for them. But me, I was, I was loving life and going, I hope this lasts the rest of my life. And so... But one of the things, though, that, that happened pretty quickly, I think that the first night that we were quarantined, as Aaron and I were talking, we, we said, hey, let's, you know, one of the things that we always want to do, but our schedules never seem to line up, so let's cook together. So the first night of quarantine, Aaron and I set off to prepare the meal together. We we're going to do like, I don't know, like beef tacos or something. But my job ended up being the one who was going to brown the ground beef, which really isn't that difficult, is it? Well, apparently it is more difficult than you realize. Because as I was working on browning the ground beef, all of a sudden Aaron starts to coach me on how I should be doing this. And I'm thinking, I am 53 years old. This is not that difficult. Like, why do you feel like you need to coach me? And so we, we kind of got, had some words to each other. And uh, I'm like, hey, I've got my own system. And, and, and basically she said, listen, the way you're doing that, you've, all, you've got this big roll of beef just sitting in the pan. You've got to break it up. And I'm like, shh, I know what I'm doing. She's like, no, you don't. You're making meatloaf. <laughs> When we want to be making ground, you know, beef tacos, whatever. So 
Unfortunately, our cooking together lasted, oh, 15 minutes, and then we figured, you know, why don't we, you know, why don't I just let you do this? As the days kind of went by, I remember at some point, we had all of our adult kids came home, and we just, all of us together, again, I was loving it, but Aaron pulled the whole family together at some point and said, here's the deal, you guys, y'all are adults, I'm not going to be cooking three meals a day for all y'all. You need to figure out who's going to be doing the cooking. I'm done. <laughs> and so being the spiritual leader, I cast lots um, and lost. And so all of a sudden, I was uh, crowned the new chef for the Smalley family during COVID, which I always wanted to kind of learn how to do that. So that, that was all right. But, but here's what I started to learn very quickly. In our home... We've always had a rule, whoever cooks, and Erin's a fantastic cook. So it wasn't like, hey, you're the woman, I'm the man. It was, she is so good at it. But our deal was, if you cook, then I always clean. So for, you know, 30 years, I've always done all the cleaning, all the dishes, unloading, loading the dishwasher, all that kind of stuff. And so as I, though, began to be the one to cook, here's what I started to discover, I would wake up in the morning, kind of get ready, start to do my work, and I would venture into the kitchen. And I'd kind of pull open the freezer to see, you know, what, what, what do we have that I could prepare for tonight? And I'd just be looking at stuff, and I'm, I'm not even, I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the meat has been in the freezer so sometimes you don't even know what it is. I'm like holding stuff going, wonder what this was at one point. I wonder if it's still good. Is this like cow tongue or is this, you know, ground beef? I don't know what it is. But I remember this one day in particular, I, 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 I pulled open, you know, the freezer, found some pork chops and thought, oh, th that would be good. But what I, would, what I would do, though, throughout the day is so I'd go in early, I'd figure out kind of what to prepare, and then I'd start to think about, well, what else do I need? Here's a recipe. I, I never even knew Pinterest existed. Does anybody use Pinterest? Like, that's legit. Do you mean recipes? I have no idea that that was a thing. Man, I would go on and find really cool, you know, recipes. So this, I found pork chops. So I went in Pinterest, you know, great, best pork chops. Found a couple recipes that look really good. But throughout the day, though, then I would start to think, do I have enough you know, do I have the ingredients? Um, I don't. I'm going to have to make a trip to the store. And we've got some people in the family who are gluten-free. Someone has a dairy allergy. How am I going to make all this? I mean, it, I just found myself worrying. And I'm, this 30 years into marriage, I would find myself worrying throughout the day if I'm going to be able to prepare the meal for the family in a way that they'll, they'll be excited about it. I had no idea. So this one day, pork chops, find the perfect recipe, two, trying to choose between two. Aaron walks into the kitchen, and I said, hey, I said, Aaron, I'm going to cook pork chops tonight. I found these two recipes. Help me decide which one do you think I should, should cook. There's kind of a Cajun one, and then there's a honey-glazed one. What do you like? And I'll never forget, she turned to me, patted me on the backside, and said, you got this, chef. And then she kept doing whatever she was doing. And all I remember is thinking, I didn't mind being patted on the backside, so I was fine with that. But I remember, how rude. Like, I need your help. I went to her and said, Aaron, no, seriously, like, help me think this through. 
I can't make any more decisions today. Just help me decide one or the other. And she literally just went, I trust you. You got this, chef. I was so irritated with her thinking, gosh, why, why is this all my responsibility? Why can't you help when I'm telling you? It was like if you were looking at me, there was a light bulb that just went off. I instantly had an epiphany that I had not realized over 30 years of marriage. And I said to my wife, Aaron, is, is, is this what it's been like for you for the past 30 years? Like throughout the day, do you worry about cooking and do we have the ingredients and when do you have to start to thawing something and this and that? And she just gave me this really big smile and just nodded and said, that's exactly what I've experienced over 30 years. And I'm telling you, it was such a powerful realization, honestly, that I had never known before. I had, I hadn't, that had never dawned on me. I'm telling you, remember, she would cook, I would clean, but there was never a day, there was never a moment throughout the day that I would start to fret, thinking, man, I wonder if I have enough dish soap. You know, I wonder if there's enough room in the, in the dishwasher. You know, this, I, I would never think about that until it was time for me to clean up. I had no idea that throughout the day, Aaron was worried about this. Has anybody else had that experience of cooking and worrying all day long? Is that okay? I am so sorry. I had no idea that that was going on. And it was in that moment that I realized that there was an area of my marriage that my wife felt very, very alone. And she's very capable, a fantastic cook. She had kind of suffered alone in, in silence for her, not, not really thinking. I mean, she's not a complainer. She was never going to bring this up. I'm not even sure that she realized it either until I said it that way. But it just really, it, it caused me to, to start to go, huh. Now, I had 30 years of marriage. I had no idea that that's how she felt alone in that area of our marriage. I wonder if there's... If there's other places, maybe that I'm not aware of. Because being alone in marriage, being alone in any relationship, that, that's, a, that's a terrible feeling. According to Psychology Today, listen, it's really interesting, nearly 63, so two-thirds, nearly 63 of people who reported being lonely were married and living with their spouse. Two-thirds of those interviewed who reported feeling very lonely were married and living with their spouse. It just started to make me think, man, what, what else am I missing here? Because that's the last thing on earth that I want my wife or, quite frankly, anyone to feel who's in relationship with me. Lonely in marriage, we can certainly share the same house, share the same dinner table, share the same bed, and still feel millions of miles apart, isolated, disconnected, and alone. And that's so far from what God created when he gave us this gift of marriage. He never intended, it's not his desire that, that, that we feel lonely. I mean, when he talks about marriage, he talks about the two becoming one. You talk about the ultimate connection. And that's what I want my wife to experience. I want her to experience that, that, that connection as God really intended our relationship to feel. And in that moment, I realized, man, what an epiphany that that wasn't at all what she was feeling, at least in that one area.
So what do we do when we start to, when God gives us these epiphanies or maybe we recognize a relationship that's in, that's going through some challenges of marriage where you're feeling alone or disconnected? What do we do? And that's where I want to return to that Galatians 6, 1 through 5, those, those verses, because, man, I think that, that it, it just Paul has done such a great job in helping us think through what do we really need to do. The tendency for me when I encounter a challenge in my marriage or as a dad with my kids or at work, so in whatever relationship, when I encounter a problem, usually my very first thing that I want to do is I want to, I want to fix it. I want to solve it. I want to quickly go to that person and reconcile, maybe apologize, figure out some sort of solution. And unfortunately, that is never the place that, that we should begin. Let me take you to 1 Peter 3.7. When we recognize a challenge in a relationship, before we apologize, before we find a solution, I believe that, that, that we have another opportunity, and it's a powerful opportunity. Here, we're being, so husbands in particular, we be, we're being told, husbands, live with your wife in an understanding way. That word understanding, in another translation, so in, the, in using that Greek word, a deeper meaning to that word understanding means empathically aware. Isn't that, isn't that a great definition of the word understanding? So live with our wife, live with each other in an understanding way. In other words, really being empathically aware. Empathy is very different than sympathy. Sympathy is when I recognize that you're going through something difficult. I'm, I'm aware. I can see you. Like for Aaron. Okay, in that moment, I could, I could be sympathetic around you've been cooking and feeling this way for a long time. Okay, I, I get it. But empathy is very different than sympathy. Where sympathy is feeling bad for someone, empathy is when we feel bad with someone. We enter into their shoes. What has what, what your experience been like? I want to enter into those emotions and feel what that was like for you. As much as I was tempted to go back to Aaron and say, I am so sorry that you have felt this way, maybe alone for a long time in our marriage. I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? I think before we should ever ask someone to forgive Ourselves. In, in other words, we have no business asking someone to forgive us until we've experienced what it's felt like for them. It's through existing in their shoes and really getting into their emotions that we're then really able to understand what was that like for you. And from that place, using that as a motivation to then own our part of that and to seek forgiveness or to apologize or whatever would be a next step. But long before I find a solution, because I could have also gone to Aaron and said, hey, okay, let's figure out a schedule here. Here's how we're going to divide up this particular household responsibility of cooking. And here's some other ones. And what I'm talking about, this isn't how we divide household responsibilities. It's not about a solution. It's not about apologizing. It's first we have an opportunity to go and really empathize with this person who we've hurt or who's been hurt by something we did even accidentally. I want to I live out 
One of my favorite quotes by Teddy Roosevelt, so one of our presidents, says that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care about our apology or they don't care about our solution until they truly feel that they matter to us, that, that we care. I love that. I, I kept that, that quote on my bathroom for many, many years, just really trying to, to, instead of my natural tendency to jump in to fix or to solve something, I wanted to really learn, what, what, how do I first care for what's happened to you? It takes humility. That, that takes effort. It's hard to sit with someone, especially if I'm the cause of, of what happened. But I love that in First Peter that we're being told to let's, let's, let's live with each other in an understanding way. Let's be empathically aware. What a, what a great reminder. You know, Jesus modeled this in such a beautiful way. So if you're like, I don't even know who Teddy Roosevelt is. All right, well, do you know Jesus? Because he also modeled this in such a cool way. Shortest verse in the Bible. Who knows it? Shout it out. Jesus wept. We all know that one. That's one that we can always count on that we've memorized. So Jesus wept. Do you remember why he was weeping? Remember his good friend, his buddy, one of his best friends, Lazarus, had died. It died before Jesus could get there. So when Jesus shows up, right, the family is grieving, they're, they're weeping, they're mourning the loss of their friend, their brother, Lazarus. It's always intrigued me, though, what, what, what Jesus did. Because as he encountered the problem of Lazarus' death, do you remember how he eventually solves that problem of Lazarus being dead? Do you remember what he does? He raises him from the dead. Now, I love a good solution. I would say that's probably the world's greatest all-time solution to a problem, raising someone from the dead. I believe that Jesus knew ahead of time that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, which is always intrigues me. Why did, when he got to that family, why did he spend time weeping with them? I always go, well, if it had been me... You know, I would, why didn't he say, hey, 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 everybody, hold, hold on, hold on, stop crying. Hey, it's me, Jesus. I'm here. I got this. As a matter of fact, give me five minutes, and I'm going to do something that's going to literally blow your mind. Why didn't he quiet them? Why didn't he tell them, I got this, I'm here? Why did he spend time weeping with this family? I don't know. I would never be arrogant enough to go, well, I know exactly why he did this, but it makes me wonder is that a part of the lesson there for us before we solve something? Let's spend some time caring. People don't care what you know, even if it's the best solution until they know that you care. I don't know, but it makes me wonder. But I believe that's a part of what, what, God, what Christ was modeling for us in that moment. There's something about being empathically aware. is such a gift. It's such a great beginning place. And that's exactly what I did with Aaron. I said, hey, could I'd love to talk and debrief and kind of process this epiphany that I had about you feeling lonely in this area of cooking within our relationship. And, and we actually did that. We got, grabbed some coffee and I don't drink coffee, so I'd like a Mountain Dew Zero or something. But as we sat there, I just said, tell me, what, what, what's that been like for you? And it was interesting to hear her begin to unpack that. 
Because I'm telling you, she began to say things that I don't think she even realized that she had felt and what that was like for her. I just listened. I just cared. You know, at the end, I told her, yeah, wow, man, I had no idea, and I am so sorry. I am so sorry that you have felt that way. That's not my intent. She even asked me, well, what, what about you? And I was first thinking, oh, I'm, I'm good. But then you know what? Like, I, I do all the bills. And there's a way in which that I have, I have done that all on my own. And there were some areas that we were able to talk about. And it made such a big difference with us in, in our relationship. So as we encounter whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever challenge in any relationship, as you go to, to repair that, I just encourage you, first and, four, let's be empath- first and foremost, let's be empathically aware. Let's go after the emotion. Let's care about what's going on. And then we can move on to either an apology or a solution. As far as the solution goes... Let's go back to that Galatians 6 um, passage. First of all, again, the, the context of this, so Paul is writing, talking basically on, on how we should treat one another. So that, that's the context of the verses that I want to focus on. Remember, he first talks about if someone is caught in sin, restore that person with gentleness. Let's, let's be about being gentle with our brothers and sisters who are struggling. He then, later on, let's go to Galatians 6, 5. So I believe that, that, that as, as Aaron and I began to think about, okay, what do we do about this? Because certainly don't want you to feel alone. So again, whatever relationship that comes to your mind, maybe there's been some challenges You know, first and foremost, Paul is reminding us that each one of us should carry our own load. He's saying that 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 we should bear carry our own load. It's kind of like this. Here's the difference. So brought these two things. That is very heavy. Okay. So when I think about the Greek word for Load. So as we're being told to carry, to bear our own load, really it's, it's something that we're capable of carrying on our own, like a backpack. So Annie was gracious enough to let me borrow her backpack. And so this is something that really, that in life, there are issues, there are things that, that I'm perfectly capable, like this backpack, of carrying on my own. And, and Paul is saying, yeah, you're responsible for that. You deal with that. You manage that. There's great verses within the Bible around personal responsibility. And I like this one. So it's saying, yeah, there's definitely areas that you, Greg, are perfectly capable of. There are backpacks that God expects me to manage and to carry. And that's an important part of this. It's recognizing that, yeah, that's good. Down in verse 6 2, though, he, he, he's, he's making a distinction between a load and a burden. He's saying that although you, as an individual, need to bear your own burden, your own load, which is like that backpack, he's saying that we should bear one another's burdens. So a burden is something that's excessive, the weight is excessive. I can't do this on my own. It'd be like trying to take this thing and strap it, you know, onto my back 
in trying to carry this thing around. And I tell you what, in many ways, this is what Aaron was experiencing around our cooking. That this was all up to her. She was the one that was bearing this big O, this big O, whatever, steamer trunk looking big O, whatever it is. And that's where Paul's saying there's a difference there. Yes, each of us should carry our own backpack. But man, all of us are going to have burdens that are way too excessive and weight for us as individuals to carry on our own. And therefore, as we're being kind to one another, is this is how we treating each other, let's be looking for those areas where our brothers and sisters are struggling under the weight of those burdens. The word bear, it's an interesting word. So is he saying bear one another's burdens the Greek word for bear means two, two things, to either support or to remove. So in the case of with Aaron, you know, in, in cooking or think about whatever relationship you're thinking about, as you recognize, as you're made aware of some of these burdens, then the question becomes, is this something maybe that, that you and I can carry and lift together? How can I support you? How could I join you? In carrying that, I'll grab one end, you grab the other, and let's just figure this out together. Or it might mean removing that thing completely to where you're going, hey, let me, let me take this off and, the, and let me help carry this for a while. I'll do it. Either way, it's, those are the two choices. We can either assist and, and kind of support that person in their boarding their burden, or we can remove that completely. I love how in that verse 6-2, it ends by saying, in this way that you will fulfill the law of Christ. What does that mean? There's nowhere actually in the, in the New Testament that's saying the, the, the law of Christ is this. But... I would say a really good educated guess is when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees of all the commandments, of all the laws, which is the most important. You remember what he said? That we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love others as we love ourselves. So love is fulfilling that law of Christ. Love. So as I'm thinking about how can, how can I help my brother, my spouse, my sister, whatever, in, 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 in supporting them or removing that burden, it really comes down to it's all about love. I believe that the best definition of love, because again, that's one of those words that when I say love, y'all think of a whole bunch of different meetings. But one that I would focus in on I believe that, that love is all about sacrifice. God said, I so love the world that I gave my son. He sacrificed Jesus, sent Jesus here. There's a great verse in 1 John 3.16. So I just quoted John 3.16. It's interesting how 1 John 3.16 is explaining love and sacrificial love in the same way. This is how we know what love is. I mean, it's, it could it be any more clear? It's saying, hey, this is how we know what love is, colon, and then it gives us the definition. 
Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Another verse says there's no greater love on this earth than when someone lays down their life for a brother or for a sister. Love is sacrifice. That's the highest act of love. Sacrifice simply means giving up something that we value. So it's got to be something we value. I one time was walked into our I don't know, laundry room where Erin kept some of some cleaning supplies and I and I noticed that she had like there were like four mops stacked in the corner. And I'm thinking, why does anyone need more than one mop in a house? Like why do we need four? So I observed the mops, I laid them all out, and I decided, let's keep these two, let me give these two away. So I took two of them to goodwill. Right is an act of sacrifice, right? Because that's who I am. No, I don't value those mops in any way, shape, or form. So it's not just because I gave those mops to goodwill, I wasn't doing that sacrificially because I don't value that mop. By the way, the mop that I gave away turned out to be something called a Norwex mop. Does anybody know what that is? Does anybody use that product? Apparently, it was like the prized possession that Aaron received as she had this Norwex party, and I gave it away. And all of a sudden, Aaron and all her friends went from goodwill to goodwill trying to hunt it down. <laughs> Who knew? Like, I had no idea that was an actual thing. I know that now. Actually, I'm not even allowed to handle the mops, which is probably smart thing on my part. So if you want to get rid of having to do mopping duties, give your nice mop away to Goodwill and maybe you're relieved of that burden as well. But what's, so, so in that case, I was not sacrificing because I didn't value the mop. Sacrifice is when I take something that I value, my time, uh, a resource, you know, money, something that has value to me and then I give that away. That's what sacrifice truly looks like. So I remember one time, Aaron, um, another kind of ongoing, it lasted for many years, kind of discussion between us. Aaron loves to have the bed made in the morning with all 67 pillows that we need on the bed. Does anybody else love to have that bed made in the morning? Yeah, so few. Yeah, that is not me. I remember comedian Jim Gaffigan saying, making a bed is like taking off your shoes and tying them. And I'm like, that is exactly how it feels. Like, I love to get back into my side of the bed exactly how I got out. If I have to make it, then I'm going to have to undo it just to get back in. And it's never made sense. But Erin, man, she loves to have that bed made. And so we kind of worked it out going, if it's that important to you, make the bed. I mean, I, I think it's crazy, but whatever. One time Aaron had foot surgery and I found her in our master bedroom hopping on one leg around the bed to make it. And as I stood there watching this thinking, I'm a psychologist, so I have a doctorate in psychology. I'm thinking, I think this is like, seriously, like this is a crazy person. Like that's not normal behavior. Like, you're injured. I said, Aaron, you're, you're going to hurt. We'll have to get surgery on the other leg now because you have to hop around the bed to make it. She's like, I just want it made. And I just said, it, seriously, is it really this important to you? And she said, it really is. And I went, all right, here's the deal. From now on, I'll make the bed. It's mine. I call it. 
And I've been making the bed now for many, many, many years. I still don't like it. And when she's out of town, that bed ain't made. I can promise you that. But it was just, again, I, we, we look right for these opportunities to sacrifice, to love each other. And that was just this one example. So again, remember, this is not about dividing up household responsibilities. There's, there's deeper meaning here. So... How do we then, so the word bear means to support or to remove. So if I'm going to then remove that thing, it's all going to be about sacrifice and saying, let me, let me take that either for, for a day, for a season, for whatever it is. Maybe I can choose like with making the bed. I got it. And I do that. You know, the, the sad part about, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on and on about the bed it, it is so, like, infected me that even being here in your beautiful island, I have been making the bed in our stupid hotel room. <laughs> like, I'm sure there's someone who would do that on my behalf, but I find myself now, I did, now I can't, now I can't seem to go throughout the day if she's around without making that bed anyway. So part of the challenge then that, that I would just offer is to, to think about, yeah, what allow God to bring a relationship into your mind right now. So just kind of settle yourself, kind of let, let go of the defensiveness or the rationalizations or whatever it is. Think about just allow God to bring a relationship to your mind. Maybe one where there's been some tension. Maybe there's been some challenges. Maybe someone that you've seen struggling and not sure what to do, whatever. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe there's areas that your spouse really does feel alone within your relationship. Whoever it is, just allow God to bring that person to your mind. And my challenge to you would be to go, what would that look like to help bear that person's burden? How could I begin that process by going to them and asking them, again, if there's been a challenge, what has this been like for you? If, you, if God makes you aware, maybe there is an area in your marriage that, that maybe, yeah, your spouse has felt alone, go to, that, go to your spouse and just begin to ask, what's that been like? And be empathically aware. Let that motivate where you go, let that motivate an apology maybe or just whatever that solution is going to be. Let people bear, carry their own load. So that's appropriate, but what you're really looking for is, God, help give me a vision of this person that you've brought to mind and maybe what, what is a burden that they're carrying, that they're trying to carry on their own. And what would that look like for me to either support that or to remove that completely. And go to that person. Just sit down. Talk it through. Find out what maybe that, that would look like. It's made such a big difference in my marriage. Aaron and I, just it's become a part of our conversation. Just to check in to make sure that, that neither one of us is feeling alone. That is honestly the worst human emotion to experience within relationship, especially in marriage. And I don't want that. And that's why it stunned me that there was an area where I would have prided myself on, ah, we're super connected. There, I guarantee you there, there are areas and how can we do that different. I love this George Eliot quote, and I'll just end with this. What do we live for 
if it is not to make life less difficult for each other.